passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Crowds behind her. Here comes Rousey. Rights and left. Drop the champion to a knee. Oh, he oh, caught her. Man. He caught Nia. Nia stunned. The champ stunned. I don't know where it came from, but Rousey just tattooed the champion What's with a knee get? strike. How's Ronda Rousey trying, trying to do here? here? I don't know. No what is, oh, my oh. God. What was that? That was a judo throw. Judo, Here's my the friend. Hook of the leg and a kick out by Nia at two and a half. How the hell did Ronda execute that throw on the champion? That's the biggest judo throw I think anybody's ever seen. Money, 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 money. Hello, everybody. It is John Pollock, and you know I really didn't—I didn't really appreciate Wei Ting returning on Friday for the Civil War review. I was so—I was so dead set on just getting all my Captain America facts straight and focused on that show that here was Wei gone for over a week, and I, I didn't even get to wish him, you know, welcome back. So I feel like this way is more of a <laughs> kind of a chance for me to say welcome back. I missed you over the last week. Oh wow! Well, thank you. Yeah, you know, I was so I was so distracted on Friday. I'm really sorry. Certainly, yeah. I mean, like especially the weekend really lets it sink in. You know that I I, I have been gone for that long. But uh, thank you, John. I I had a wonderful vacation over in. Uh, I went to Vancouver, uh, Seattle, and Portland, and it is beautiful out there. Uh, highly recommend it. Great trip. But uh, more importantly, I do want to thank you and uh, everybody who helped out uh, at Post Wrestling, who all did a great job. Uh, from Davey to Nate to WH uh, and, and Ziggy and and who's your other Phil friend? Phil, Phil. Yes. yes everybody stepping in I was I was really happy job. with that I've, I I was concerned with with Phil and Ziggy like we had never done a show together we were on Skype it was three of us I was like man what what if we're talking over each other I was I was really happy with yeah. how that turned out so yeah it was it was great I enjoyed doing the shows with a variety of people. Uh, I I learned a bit of Photoshop along the way, which I was kind of happy with. Oh, you did and great! You really did. I've, I've I've been very impressed at at your Photoshopping ability. Yes, I can't change text on it, but it uh, putting in new photos and stuff. I I think I I I've got like a two percent understanding of Photoshop now. So you've you've unlocked the beast in me. Way. Oh, wait till oh, I show I, you all the filters. Oh, I can't wait! It's yeah. exciting stuff. That was actually like the most. I, I was way like left this to me, and he he was showing me this. And I'm like, dude, I'm gonna have to write some stuff down. He's like, I'll send you notes, and I did rely on on these notes, but I, I think I did get the hang of it. John is a very fast learner. Like, you just have to kind of. He's like a really okay. He's like um, I I need help. I didn't. Well, help. no, I, I would say that you're you're like a really smart computer who needs to be programmed sometimes. Like, I mean, Rapid. obviously. There are a lot of things you can learn on your own, but certain things, you know, maybe when it comes to like uh, like something like a Photoshop, 
but as long as you program him, he gets it right away and he will replicate it uh, like verbatim every single time. So uh, you're a very reliable machine. I learned through repetition. Yeah. I found this with my driving. I, when we started doing all the shows at your house, I can't tell you how many weeks it took me that I needed a GPS to find your house. It took me like a month to remember all the turns to get to your house. But now, boom, I could do it in my sleep. I'm not going to. I'm not going to drive uh, sleeping, but nonetheless. Mastery. 10,000 hours. That's it. Repetition. That's, that's, that's it. the key. So we have lots to discuss. We're going to be going uh, extensively through this Money in the Bank marathon show from Chicago. Uh, we'll also go over the announcements on Sunday of the G1 participants, which are going to be starting up uh, next month. Uh, but before uh, we have... Actually, uh, before big- even any, any of this, John, I got to wish you, and I forgot to do this off the top, but wish you and also all the fathers out there, happy Father's Day. Your first oh. Father's Day, John. Me and Daniel Bryan, our first Father's Day. Oh, yes. Amazing. Thank you very much. How was it? Uh, I mean, you had to uh, work, it, unfortunately. but I had to work tonight, but I had a very nice day. I woke up very early and and did a bunch of work. I wrote that preview on the site for Money in the Bank, and then I, I freed up my afternoon. So I had a really nice uh, afternoon going out, uh, doing some stuff. Got a, yeah, did, you know, just went out for breakfast with uh, with my family. It was a lot of fun. Your, I had a good, your good kid, time. Your kids make you a card uh he did not make me a card <laughs> uh but he did give me a gift it's a really it's a small gift yes so uh i will show it to you next time you come over awesome awesome yes i felt I've, honestly on the kickoff show i felt bad for daniel bryan why is that away it's his first father's day mm. here he is away he's got to work against big Cass. he's if only he like, if only he could, he could have been cleared maybe like several months later but. Yeah, I know. It's like he's probably going to miss like his her first birthday in, in the summer. Mm-hmm. You would think if if it turns out if, to be it, on a a weekend or a Tuesday. Well, if he wants to continue this wrestling thing, he's going to probably have to get used to that. It's unfortunate. Well, uh, before we start on Money in the Bank, uh, Davey and Braden have a big NXT Takeover post show uh, discussing Saturday night's show. Uh, Wade, did you have a chance to see any takeover, or are you still uh, catching up on everything? Because Lord knows you had enough to watch tonight. Yeah, I, I came back last night, uh, probably at like 3 a.m., and I dove right into takeover because I did not want to be spoiled. I didn't even shower after my long flight. I just came home and just sat down and watched takeover and really enjoyed the show. Uh, Davey and, and Braden obviously go into far more detail uh, about it, but uh, in particular, I really love that opening tag team match. Oh, I love that tag match. I mm. thought that was the best WWE tag match I've seen all year. I think one of the best tag match. I mean, the Bucks have had some really good ones mm-hmm. in New Japan and a wide variety of them as well. Um, I wouldn't say the best tag match of the year, but best WWE tag match of the year. I, I can't even think of what number two is. I love that match. And I thought after watching it, man, man, this is going to be such a great match. But by the end of the show, it's going to be forgotten about because it was right at the beginning of the show. And afterwards, I was like, this show was bookended by two outstanding matches. I thought two of the better WWE matches of the year. Completely agree. Yeah. I mean, the main event totally, to me, like, in- delivered. Uh, the, as as I think you would have expected from those guys. It was, there were two very different matches in that. One was obviously much, much more, I think, story-driven and delivered kind of the violence you re- required to end a story like that, if it is the end. Uh, it felt that way. It had that tone to it. It never felt like this is a pro wrestling match. It was mm-hmm. a fight. fight. Um, a personal well, fight. W- yes, with some pro wrestling elements to it, but I never thought they got away from 
the grudge aspect, like this hatred that these two men had for one another. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, I I mean, overall, I thought it was a pretty solid show, Uh, like on the standard, certainly of a lot of takeovers. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And again, please uh, listen to Up Next for a, a more of a detailed review of it. Yeah, so that's up there now, and up next, they have their own feed as well, so go subscribe, listen to Davey and Braden talk about it extensively, because we have money in the bank to tackle from Sunday night at the Allstate Arena, their second consecutive night in the building, and we started off all the way back at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. This is the new era. This is the new era, way because for the non-Big Four shows, the kickoff will start at 6 o'clock, and then the actual shows will end around 10.30. That was what we were instructed. <laughs> that is not what happened on this show. This one, unbelievable. This went late by normal standards, and they started an hour early. So tell me how this works with, like, a pay-per-view. The, the people that, are, that still watch these shows on pay-per-view, is there just an extra hour at the beginning? Well, I imagine the... I, I have not ordered a WWE pay-per-view in years, but what I ma- imagine they do is they just, they have, whenever you order one of those pay-per-views, it's like the end time. They have like a long window, mm-hmm. so it can cover an event like this, where if they're going to go long, that window is, it's not going to cut you off like it's Halloween Havoc 98. I mean, uh, for the UFC shows I always watch, it's like they extend that window significantly long just to be able to in case every fight goes to the decision, for instance. So I imagine that's the case here. And the WWE is very liberal with their use of uh, of deadlines and keeping everything on track. Because they, if you looked at the network schedule, the Hardys thing was supposed to start at 10.30 p.m., mm-hmm. which was laughable. I don't think Ronda and Nia even started by 10.30. Yeah, I don't think so. So it was a very long show. Mm-hmm. Renee Young, Booker T, Peter Rosenberg, and David Otunga were on the panel. Uh, we had uh, Kevin Owens, who brought in a giant garbage bag full of pancakes and had some Canadian maple syrup delivered as he was off to pretty much coax everyone in the ladder match to work together to eliminate Braun Strowman and push him as the big threat of the ladder match. And Owens is the only one that's trying to plan for this man. Uh one of the highlights way was Peter Rosenberg comparing Bobby Lashley and Sami Zayn's feud and Zayn bringing up Bobby Lashley's father in a tweet to the feud that has been brewing between Drake and Pusha T. Well, I now, don't know. I don't know how much that 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 Drake Pusha T feud is brewing anymore. It seems to be over. What was the final was was there no response at the end from uh from either side? I mean, it's, what was the what was the last statement made? It, it was uh, Drake, I believe, Instagramming um, an, an explanation for his photo in blackface that was dug up by Pusha T's people. Uh, I mean, we know the term ethering is sometimes used on the show. This goes beyond that. This this was a massacre. Wow. So this is um, maybe ethering has been replaced by uh, pushing the I, limit. I, <laughs> I, I um, Pushing too far. Yeah, I don't know if um, he'll adopt that or anybody will adopt that, but uh, sure. We Drake could, we him could. across the coals. Um, I'm going to give you maybe a bit more time until okay, the end. I'll of the work show on it to work on that. Daniel Bryan was inter- interviewed. Booker compared him to Hoist Gracie. Renee brought up that Big Cass has been working with Drew Gulak on submissions, which uh, really came into the story of that match. Like Cass is 
uh, submission prowess and the education of these submissions. Yeah. It, it really played in seamlessly. I was glad they set this up. <laughs> Booker laughed. Well, hey, at, uh, okay. Uh, you're, you're being sarcastic. Yes, I understand. There, Sarcast- there's no, there's hey. no submissions in this match on Cass's behalf. Sarcastic. What do you think of that? No, but you know what? I don't even think that's such a bad idea, pairing Drew Gulak with Cass. I ask, I think I would actually love the visual of them. Did they ever show anything like that between the Not two Not on of them? TV. No, it was just on uh, online. I would love those two as a pair. Sure, that's fine. I just, you know, they went out of their way to show that Cass was developing these submissions, and then it meant nothing during the match. Mm. So Maybe he was working on his defense. Yeah. In terms of Big Cass trying to learn submissions, Booker laughed at this, stating to stick with what you know. We are in here. We are here in Chicago. And I thought, well, this is the closest we're going to get to Booker uh, taking a shot at CM Punk. Little, little did I know. Uh, Charlie, then you thought that was Seth. a shot at CM Punk. Oh. Well, if if you listen to the way he he explained it about here was Big Cass going into this area of submission work and learning from scratch, right? It very much read to me as, or sounded to me as though he was referring to Punk, especially when he outlined that here we are in Chicago. Mm. Um, anyway, uh, Rollins was interviewed. He was playing Elias's broken guitar and said, Elias isn't on his level, and his greatest hits wouldn't make the cut on his B-side. Oh, ouch. It's something I, that's a line I feel I would hear at any professional sports uh, interview setting. Do you know how awful Seth Rollins would be as a singer, though? I imagine him being atrocious. Would he be any worse than Elias? Mm, I think he would be. Hmm. I don't know if he does a karaoke. I don't know if he's the karaoke type. Does burn it down himself? Doesn't he love, like, um, like emo bands? What is he like? <laughs> I don't know what he's into. Okay. I don't want to judge. He's in the CrossFit, so maybe that... Is you can go down that path and come across some music that you would associate with him. And then Samoa Joe came out to the panel. He was interrupted by Owens, who tried to talk him into working against Strowman. And it ended up with Joe just threatening him, Owens leaving, and Joe promising to win. Our kickoff match, the Bludgeon Brothers against Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows for the SmackDown tag titles. Harper got struck right away and... He went over the top rope and was hanging by his leg. And the way he came down, I was fearful this man had done something like torn his ACL or something, but appeared to be okay. After the break, they were in control of Anderson for a while, built up to a hot tag to Gallows, which the crowd was hot for this match early on. Uh, well, they Harper, certainly, like, these guys had the benefit of being the first match in front of this really hot crowd in Chicago. Yes. So they were probably crazy for anything. Harper landed a big boot on Gallows. Anderson made the save. Uh, the Bludgeon Brothers stopped the Magic Killer, and this audience went nuts for the tease of the Magic Killer. And the Bludgeon Brothers hit their own finish, uh, which is uh, Killer Elite Squad's Killer Bomb, which is still just called the Giant Power Bomb. That's all they call this. Mm. And the Bludgeon Brothers win at 736. I thought it was decent for a kickoff match. I actually thought this was going to be maybe uh, a bit above people's expectations, uh, but I thought it was kind of right what you would expect from these two teams and the Bludgeon Brothers retain. Yeah, I think what you'd expect from these two on a kickoff setting. It, it was just, you know, it, it really did benefit from having such a really hot crowd for it. Uh, but in the end, it just really felt like an exhibition for the, the Bludgeon Brothers. And, you know, I think, I feel like for, for Gallows and Anderson, 
unless they have a turn coming, I kind of just see them slotted here for the time being. I mean, I would consider them kind of near the bottom tier of the tag team division. And so far, the move to SmackDown really has been a neutral one for them. Then we had Booker T with his his big sign-off, where he just got all fired up here talking about Ronda Rousey's transition to the WWE. And he thought that a valid comparison point would be switching in the opposite direction. Someone that went from pro wrestling to mixed martial arts. His example was, I mean, CM Punk, that boy got the brakes beaten off of him in the UFC. (laughs) Wow. That one's not so subtle. This this was pushing it too far for Booker T. (laughs) It was push a Booker T. Jeez, wow. And that concluded the kickoff show. (laughs) Yeah. You know, hey, I didn't realize uh, the kickoffs aired on Twitter. They stream them on Twitter. Yeah, they stream them on, I think, multiple outlets. I think you can watch it on YouTube, on Facebook. Mm -hmm. They make them very easily accessible. Right. Is that where you watched it? Yes, it is. Yeah. I watched it, um, like, I listened to most of it. The kickoff really is just something you can listen to. Uh, The match you can watch, but most of it you can just, like, go about your day take a shower, listen to it, and save yourself for the rest of this show. So we move on to the main show, and kicking things off, Daniel Bryan versus Big Cass, and Bryan came out to a hero's welcome in Chicago, and Cass was met with an equally uninvited reception here from this crowd that just hated Cass and his orange skin. This crowd had its favorites, and I think it was easy to predict who they were going to be. Yeah, Cass had quite the tan job. Maybe he's always looking this way, but he looked exceptionally orange next to Daniel Bryan. Bryan attempted the heel hook several times and is mixing in leg kicks, and then Cass would cut him off, attack the ribs of Bryan, and th- this match had had two versions. We had Bryan with his offense that was targeting the knee and setting up the finish, and then we had Big Cass with the heat. And my God, it was like a sleeper hold on myself when it was Big Cass in control of this. And they went back and forth. The crowd was chanting, Big Cass sucks. Um, Brian then hit this uh, tilt-a-whirl into the yes lock. It looked like uh, mm-hmm. La Mystica. Uh, that looked really cool. He was setting up for the Busaiku knee. He didn't hit it on the first try, but did on the second. And... Then Brian popped off of Cass's shoulders. Uh, this is when he hit the running knee and then locks on the heel hook and Cass just screamed in pain, tapping out. They went 15 minutes, 24 seconds. I'll put it ahead of the backlash match, but way I am more than happy to see this feud uh, conclude after tonight. I feel it will. I feel it, feel it will. Yeah. I mean, I, you know what? I, listen, this is Daniel Bryan we're talking here, and this is big Cass who... If you compare the levels of experience in, in, in those two, I wouldn't have expected that much more from Big Cass. But that said, I thought I thought Brian here leading the match, him bumping for Cass's offense, made the match to me quite enjoyable. Like Brian is good as always, but I thought Cass for his level did fine. You know, to me, in fact, it might have been one of the best catches Cass matches I probably seen him in because you know he was in there with somebody as good as Daniel Bryan. So. I feel like they are probably grading his performances on a very different bar and and they're probably happy looking at something like this. It it was a match that, you know, just told a very simple story, but it was done well. It's like, you know, it's like pepperoni pizza. It's nothing innovative, but a good pepperoni pizza is still enjoyable. 
Well, and, and that was kind of the theme for a lot of the matches on this card was you had one side and, you know, against an opponent that was going to create challenges. And that was kind of the goal of many of these matches was to see um, how how that inferior party would be able to step up in a big position. So fine, it was a fine opener. Um, mm. Didn't didn't to me, you know, blow the roof off or anything like that. Though I mean, super hot for Daniel Bryan, but I guess at the end of the night, this was not the match people were talking about. Oh, certainly, yeah. probably probably not even top five. No, certainly um, not. Although, like for me, it's interesting to watch Bryan because I think we. I'm trying to like think about what his mindset is in this current run for his career. I get the sense that he's still challenging himself to work as close to his old style and his old pace as he can, but doing it as carefully as possible in almost maybe in order to prove that, Hey, I could still wrestle like the old me and I can do it safely. I'm perfectly fine. Trust me. And I say, I'd say so far he's been successful, but I do worry, you know, I watch a match like this and I see him like, it's not even so much like the planchas and, and, and stuff like that, that you would expect to be dangerous, but it's like taking a sidewalk slam or a big boot from cast something he might have no control over that could go wrong someday. So maybe to me, it's just a reminder that, Hey, let's enjoy this guy's matches while we still can. Cause you know, who knows, who knows what could happen. Where do you see Brian after this feud uh, concluding? Do you go right to the Miz program after this or is there something hmm. else that's uh, interesting? You also have now Nakamura needs something too. Mm-hmm. So there, there's no shortage of options for Daniel Bryan. I think that's people's criticism here is that you've gotten two months here out of this big cast feud. There, there's plenty of other programs that are more enticing for Daniel Bryan. Certainly, certainly. I feel like they've been holding Bryan back from like some of the more juicier matchups for some reason. I assume SummerSlam will either get the Miz. I would be even happy for another Samoa Joe match, like an actual Samoa Joe program if they wanted to. Uh, or Nakamura, like you said, there's, there's no shortage right now. Or even, even AJ. Yeah, I mean, th- there's a long list of what you can do with him that does not include Big Cass. Um, so anyway, we then continue, and the New Day is backstage, and they briefly brought up the E3 tournament, by, but not mentioning uh, the Elite. Kevin Owens entered the locker room, and he's got his garbage bag of pancakes with Canadian maple syrup, which is very delicious. How do uh, we know it's from Canada? Well, we are taking his word for it. And Owens did say on the pre-show to Samoa Joe, don't trust me. So you're right. This could have been just, uh, you know, something. Aunt Jemima's? Could have been right out of 7-Eleven or something. Maybe it's like no name. It wasn't. It didn't even have a label on it. So I, I doubt he was like tapping a tree for this out of, uh, you know, the, the forests of St. Mary's, uh, Quebec. Or Marysville. Where is he from? Maryville? Some, yeah. So the New Day won't reveal which member is in the ladder match. Owens asks them about working against Braun Strowman and New Day. They don't like this. They're not cheaters, they said. Owens says, well, I don't really like pancakes. I'm not even a breakfast person. I tried your cereal. It sucked. And the New Day has a big fit. And Owens yells that IHOP was right to change their name. Burgers are better than pancakes. And then the New Day stole his syrup from him. So they're not cheaters, but they are thieves, we established (laughs) in this segment. I thought these are four of the better improvisers in the company. I, I, I enjoyed this segment. I did too. I thought it was a fun skit. You know, it's like it, these are kids skits. And I think, uh, but even, you know, even if they are for kids, I think you can judge good performances and bad performances. And I would say all four delivered good performances. This was also because I left before they revealed what IHOB stood for. 
So this was the first time I learned that the B in IHOB stands for burgers. Oh, man, you missed some of the stupidest online commentary and reaction to this decision by IHOP, which it sounds like they're not doing anything different. This was just a, well, either genius or ridiculous publicity stunt. So, oh, man, okay. is this a permanent change? Uh, I, I think they're they're changing the name, but they're not changing anything of what they serve. Wait, are there, bur- are there burgers or not? Or have they always had burgers? I, I'm not an IHOP connoisseur. I believe their burgers will be an option now, but so will pancakes. Okay. Those are from my sources. But, I mean, come on. Like, I can get burgers anywhere. Why would I go to IHOP to order a burger? You know? Why not make yourself known for something else? Like a- well, the best, the best part of all this is these food chains now that have quite the social media following that really get in on it. Like, you think that Pusha T and Drake are pushing it. I mean, there was – I think it was Wendy's or some chain that was asked about – are you worried about the burger competition now? And they came back. Like This is the corporate account. They said, we're not too worried about a place that couldn't even get the pancakes right. Oh, wow. Good one. So some very, some very uh, hostile words yeah. exchanged uh, here in this IHOB uh, controversy. Sami Zayn had to take on Bobby Lashley. This was a match that they were, uh, they, they were forced to deliver over for us. And it seemed like this audience was very split at the beginning to the point that I was uh, thinking, man, this crowd is just going to turn on Bobby Lashley in this match. Uh, It didn't quite uh, reach that level, though there was a chance of Bobby's sisters. And I thought this match went – this was the shortest match on the show. I think it could have been even shorter. This could have just been Lashley bulldozing through this guy in a minute. But they went six and a half minutes – there was a portion that was booing Bobby when he was on offense. He hit two vertical suplexes, and the announcers were stating that Sami Zayn's vertigo could go back, clearly not uh, realizing the uh, the country that was announced for that stadium show on Saturday. It's going to be Australia, actually. So his vertigo should be just fine in that part of the world. And Lashley hit another vertical suplex, pinning Sami Zayn, 636, uh, for all this way. Um, oh, my God. Pretty flat. And Lashley wins, great, and we are all the better for it that this feud existed in front of our eyes for all these weeks for this. Yeah, uh, not a match that made any of the preceding material uh, worthwhile whatsoever. Uh, A rather straightforward match. It really did feel like they were just going out there to end this thing, you know. Uh, Whatever. Let's all just move on, pretend this doesn't exist. Let's all forget about it until December when we will perhaps analyze it with a bit more depth. Yeah, there were a lot of feuds on this show that I was readily hoping were just going to come to a conclusion. No, mm-hmm. this I would add to the list. It's interesting like that you talk about the crowd's maybe uh, lack of reaction or perhaps indecisiveness uh, towards this match, because I think it just shows you how... Listen, like Sami Zayn is, is I, I think, by, on any, any other show uh, with any other program, probably a crowd favorite. Um but here, we can't even cheer for him because he was terrible. I mean, okay, fine. Maybe he did well with the material that he was given. Well, I can't even say that because it was just bad. It was just bad all around. So there's no no positive to, to take from this entire feud. And I think the crowd's lack of reaction or perhaps, uh, I don't know, just uh, indecision about who to cheer or who to boo kind of reflects that. 
This Sami Zayn was the figure I was thinking about watching Johnny Gargano on Saturday night and mm-hmm. looking at these two and thinking in a year from now, I could, I would give a 50-50 shot that Ciampa and Gargano were, would just have a throwaway match on SmackDown one week. And I would say like a 30% chance that they would just, on, for no reason, they would randomly team up on an episode of SmackDown. And then we'll get to a point where Johnny Gargano uh, doesn't have the same babyface appeal that he did in NXT. And everyone will say, well, he's not ready for the main roster switch. So then we'll have to turn him heel. And in two years, we'll have this version of Johnny Gargano playing Sami Zayn. Because two years ago, Sami Zayn was this guy. When he was, well, maybe three years ago in NXT, where he was this babyface that was just so beloved. And yet, nope. He just he can't connect at a baby face level. We got to turn him. So I guess if you like that feud, you should enjoy it in NXT while you can. Absolutely, I really hope Champa wins the title in at the next takeover. I I think that should be the program, and Champa wins, and it sets up a title program between those two, mm. and they feud for years for that title in NXT. Or if you're Asuka, maybe you want to go back. Oh, patience, folks. Patience. We'll get to Asuka. Nia Jax and Ronda Rousey were shown getting ready. Rousey was shadow boxing as Natalia just sat there in the locker room. I was like, y- you've got something pretty important happening too, you know. Um, then they aired the trailer for Ms. and Mrs. I had like a mild curiosity in what the show was going to be. Uh, that mild curiosity was totally extinguished with this trailer. This sh- this show looks awful, Way. If you are able to watch this, no, no, all the no, credit to you. No. I, I'm, I'm like you. I probably have some curiosity. Uh, you know, I might, I don't know, I'll sit down with my girlfriend and probably watch the first episode just because it's something to watch. Um, but certainly the trailer didn't help because I know you have a re- real high standard of puns, John. In this 30-second trailer... They've already exhausted probably every Miz pun I could think of, and I can I I I, I can't I I do not look forward to 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 hearing any more of these uh, in, in the season that that's ahead. Like this just looks like the Miz in his most painful way possible, being on a reality show, and I I, I just I can't even put it into words. Yeah, I mean, I've gotten glimpses of them, obviously, from Total Divas, and there are a couple that I would say, uh, I don't know. It's not necessarily a couple that I, they're they're not my favorite uh, on the show. I think they were probably chosen because they, they love The Miz. Uh, you know, Maurice is obviously going through a pregnancy, so that might be somewhat interesting. Um, you'll see The Miz's dad, who, if you remember, looks nothing like The Miz. I would love a reality show on him. Yeah, we'll be a part of it. Uh, I, listen, I'll give it a chance. I will. You are very open-minded. Mm-hmm. Elias was in the ring and started playing. He called the audience scumbags, so they chanted, We are scumbags. And he said the audience isn't even worth playing for. Seth Rollins versus Elias. Intercontinental title. Corey Graves said that earlier in the day, he asked Seth Rollins how he felt after being hit by Elias's guitar. And Rollins said, I'm sore, but I live my life sore. Which just sounded very bizarre. What a weird thing to uh, acknowledge. I live, I live my life sore. 
So Elias got the advantage after clotheslining Rollins onto the edge of the apron, injuring his neck from the guitar attack. And Elias applied a Cobra clutch. And I, I thought that this was one of Elias's uh, better performances. Mm-hmm. But the person that really stood out for me was Seth Rollins in this match. I thought he worked overtime getting a a very good match out of Elias. And Elias, to his credit, um, he was there for everything he needed to be. He was never out of place. I didn't think he dragged the match. I thought um, of the different examples we have, maybe looking at this weekend, Lars Sullivan, Big Cass, Elias. Um, I, I I saw them all as kind of being in, in similar spots mm-hmm. uh, this weekend. Uh, I, I thought Elias did, you know, I, I'd put him right in the middle there. I, I, I think Lars... Outside of one bad spot, maybe would be my my number one of those three, and Elias would be a close number two. I thought he was fine. Hey, I thought Elias really exceeded my expectations of him in this match. I mean, I thought everything went really well for him. Like the crowd was already there for him before he even had to say a word. And then, like to me, I thought I thought he was great. He like all of a sudden there was this moment there where uh, Rollins goes for a suicide dive. Yes. Elias blocks it. And then he just unleashes this awesome barrage that ends with that flying elbow. It was awesome. It was like the it was be- the best. It was the best sixty seconds of his career. That sequence. It wasn't even describing. sixty. It was like like t- fifteen seconds. Like it could have been a gif. And it was like he went super saiyan for these fifteen seconds. It was he looked awesome there. Uh, Rollins was selling his knee throughout this, and it, Rollins has gotten much better with his knee selling. It used to be a real aggravating part. Uh, for me to watch with this guy, but he has gotten much better at it. And Coachman now plays the role of the guy that's questioning all of Rollins' offense that relies on his knee. Like, basically, the one glaring one here was when Rollins, his knees hurt, and he does that superplex Falcon Arrow combination. And Coachman suggests he was, he's was he been playing possum this whole time. There's no way he could do this if his knee was fine. Um, but other than that, I mean, he was limping a lot. He limped to the top. Um, landed on the knees of Elias. And then at the end, uh, they exchanged roll-ups, and Rollins came out on top and grabbed the belt of Elias for leverage and stole the pin at 17.01 to retain the title. Uh, so the idea was, at the end, he did need to cheat in order to beat Elias to um, protect Elias in losing. Um, but yeah, this was this was a good match for... Mm-hmm. Some people, I, I put out uh, a poll on Twitter about the best match of the night, and I did not include this one, and this was one that people uh, did bring up. Maybe not as the best match of the night, but should be in the top four. I, I mean, I, uh, well, maybe we'll talk about that at the, at the end of the show. But to me, like, I think any Seth Rollins performance now, you kind of have to almost consider, because he, he does make a case for it. He continues to be the, the in-ring MVP of the entire company, in my opinion. And he really does kind of feel like something special right now. So I hope he can stay healthy. I hope he can keep all this up until WrestleMania because um, it's making the audience really probably want to see another title run with with him. But this time as a baby face. Then we had the first of two Money in the Bank ladder matches. Ember Moon, Natalia, Sasha Banks, Alexa Bliss, Charlotte Flair, Naomi, Becky Lynch, and Lana. Match begins. Ember Moon was thrown into the timekeeper's area. And then she came back with this somersault that didn't fully connect with Becky Lynch on the floor. Uh, Charlotte and Becky fought for the ladder. Audience was really behind Becky. That seemed to be the audience's pick in this match. And number two was Lana. 
which I mean, I think I, I kind of expected because of the Rusev association, obviously, but it seemed like anytime Lana was there, and even when she was near, like, actually attempting to grab the briefcase, this audience seemed like they wanted to see Lana win the briefcase. Yeah, I didn't understand that at all. Um, I mean, Lana, it's, it's the Rusev thing, yeah. Yeah. Lana did, it's not like she stuck out like a sore thumb in this match. She was very well protected. I thought in this she match. did great for what she was set, what she set out to do. Like nothing, she seemed comfortable in there with the ladders. I, obviously, she wasn't diving or anything, but like at no point was she ever exposed, you know. And it's not like she she didn't do anything either. She did she did stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they kind of got into this sequence of you know they would isolate down to two people and kind of kept the rest out, and then it was just switching in and out, doing different pairings, teasing people, getting to the briefcase, and then being uh, cut off. Um, number of big spots. I, I thought in terms of a performer, I, I thought Ember Moon really stood out in this match. She did a lot of ambitious stuff and looked really good in this match to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's, she's someone that's, I won't say lost in the shuffle, but doesn't really have much going on on Raw. So it was uh, she was one of my picks to win this match. Um, right. Just because I thought she kind of needed it. But obviously yeah. they had a, a very detailed story laid out for tonight with their winner. Yeah. In terms of like in ring, I feel like she her and Asuka are sort of on like a different level in terms of just like how how fluid they are with their movement. And uh, perhaps, you know, they're still trying to warm up to what her character is because I don't think they have a very good sense of it. Um, yeah, maybe maybe after this. Lana's big spot was applying an accolade and then climbing the ladder, which uh, Naomi springboarded onto that ladder, stopping Lana. And then Naomi was stopped by Becky, and Naomi got sent to the floor. Becky was climbing, as did Charlotte. They fought at the top. Alexa returned, tipping them over. And then Natalia returned, hit Lana with an electric chair, and was left alone. Charlotte came back from under the... She went under the ladder. So that's seven years of bad luck coming her way. To spear she, Ember she did Moon. did twice, though. That's 14 then. Oh. That's really bad. I mean. Ask Jeff Hardy, I guess. Uh, Jeff Hardy. And uh, remember when Scott Hall did it at WrestleMania 10? Wow. Scott Scott Hall and Jeff Hardy have had some bad luck. Mm. Um, Charlotte was hit with a Bexploder. And Becky was climbing and was about to grab it when Bliss was supposed to be there to tip the ladder. And she was clearly late for the tip. And Becky just kind of had to improvise. Bliss did finally drop her. And then climbed up to get the briefcase. 18 minutes, 26 seconds. And uh, what'd you think of the match? I really liked this match. I mean, I, I this was a match where, like, at the end of it, I felt like uh, I personally felt so disappointed that Becky didn't win that it almost affected my enjoyment of it. And to me, that's that's a benefit. That's telling you how much I got into this match. I was able to take my hat off as a critic and just buy into it as a fan really wanting to see this baby face Becky Lynch finally win. This entire crowd was behind her. It's been years since she's had a uh, you know an opportunity at the title. I think of all the choices, she was definitely the one the crowd wanted to win the most. Every time she was climbing up that ladder, like this audience just like came unglued and it was awesome to see. Um, you know, I but I I felt like they it was fun. They took a lot of risk, which I don't think you often see enough in the in the women's division on the main roster. Like you see a lot of safe working and I think especially for what the women's division, you have to like show your the audience that you're not afraid to get hurt. You're not afraid to 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 to, to endure pain. And I thought this match kind of showcased that for a lot of these women. 
everything they did ultimately was relatively safe. But I think it garnered great reactions from this audience and showed the world, yeah, that they're not afraid of getting hurt. So I thought they designed some great spots. Uh, everybody had some level of shine, great pairings, great moments. To me, it was fast, full of action. Uh, to me, one of the better women's matches I've seen in this current women's revolution thing. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was a good match. Got over to the audience. They they were really into it. I think enjoyed the finish. And yeah, they were really behind Becky. Um, I, I didn't like it as much as you did, but I thought that that it was laid out really well. Um, if I was going to criticize anything, I, I thought they just kind of got into this pattern a lot of just the kind of just mix and repeat with the same kind of teases of, of going up the ladder. And then we just intersplice different talent and then they disappear again. Uh, but it was, it was a good match. Like I thought um, in terms of the, like this is one of the better matches uh, I would say on the, this card. Uh, it was on the kind of upper end of the matches. So to me, I, I thought it del- delivered well to me. It's, it spoke to me about how, like how they probably view Becky in, in, in that, like, they saved her for the finish where Alexa was the one to take her off at the end. So it tells me that they know that this audience wants Becky to win. And it seems to suggest to me that she's probably like, I would hope that she would be next in line with the way they crafted this finish. Well, they love that story. The baby face that continually fails. Mm -hmm. They're very good with that one. Uh, So afterwards, Paige and Kurt Angle are remarking on the match and Kurt Angle's side, getting the briefcase with Alexa and Angle notes, I love these dual brand pay-per-views. I get to see all my old friends, including Samoa Joe. And Baron Corbin walked in. Way had you seen Bald Corbin uh, before tonight? Yeah, I watched. I saw him on Raw. I saw the video on of him getting shaved. Yes. What a what a huge payoff that was. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I wonder how much he's going to wrestle. Uh, maybe maybe not often. Hmm. What a role this is for him. The Money in the Bank winner last year, which Paige brought up and made fun of Baron uh, for failing to win the championship after winning Money in the Bank last year. This was after Corbin and Paige exchanged words. And Corbin had told Kurt that Stephanie wants both of the briefcases to be on Raw. So I guess she got her wish. Mm-hmm. Sunil Singh came out in a wheelchair with a sling and a neck brace following his match with Roman Reigns to introduce Jinder Mahal. This crowd wanted nothing of this match. They treated this as their unofficial intermission. I don't even want to call it intermission because they were very engaged in this match. It was not like they sat on their hands. This was like the most interactive of any of the matches in terms of crowd participation. This was the halftime show. Like, yeah, this was like the the seventh inning stretch and take me out to the ball game where everybody participated. So I have a lot of thoughts on this match. Uh, let's go through it first. Um, as expected, Roman heavily booed. Uh, this began a CM Punk chant at the beginning, and then we went through a chorus of chants from Boring, NXT, Rusev Day, This Is Awful, Make It Stop, Johnny Wrestling, Let's Go Cena, Cena Sucks. Then when they got tired of chanting, they began the wave. And it was just like the most amazing thing to watch because Reigns and Jinder... They had their match. They had their match laid out. And I wrote this in my preview, and I said this ad nauseum. This should be the match that Roman just kills this guy in two minutes. Mm-hmm. And I think I've said that for a few matches on this card that could have been shorter. 
None of them were. Not one match on this card was Mm -hmm. that quick finish. This one, to me, given how long they were going, I was fully expecting we're getting some kind of DQ finish or something, and they're going to continue this to next month before Roman SummerSlam program because they have the July pay-per-view. But no, it was Roman Reigns sold for an ungodly amount of time, made his comeback, he went for the spear, and then was sent into the post then uh, Sunil, who had attacked Reigns earlier in the match, sending him into the post to prove he wasn't really hurt, he ended up getting uh, his comeuppance where he was speared on the floor and then Reigns returned to the ring, was caught with an inside cradle, kicked out, speared Jinder, and pinned him. 15 minutes and 40 seconds. I, uh, I do not blame these two at all. They had their match. Like, this was what they were given. And they went out and, to their credit, they wrestled their match. They were professionals about it. This audience, I I think this was just awful foresight. How could anyone have not expected this? And you still book a 16-minute match. Like, this was not at a left field, this kind of a reaction. I think you were crazy to put this match on in the middle of the card for this amount of time. And Roman still wins. At least this wasn't the main event, which was what we saw at WrestleMania. Um, the, The way this went, it was... Exactly, I think, as any of us had imagined, as soon as they announced Ginger versus Roman in Chicago. Um, and the fact that they decided to go ahead with the match as long as this, without even any like spots that were designed necessarily to change that expected reaction. This was Ginger with the long chin locks on the with his heat that 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 are like every single Jinder Mahal match where people do the Randy Orton thing and just sabotage the match. I think they like a part of me wonders if they're even designing a match like this just for this crowd participation segment to let the audience enjoy themselves and just, you know, feel like they're having fun because, Hey, it's fun to rebel and it's fun to take over a match. So it could, could there be some way that the WWE are, have, have designed this, these types of matches, this, these Bobby Lashley, Sami Zayn segments that are intentionally bad to, to let the audience feel like they can, I don't know, feel feel like they, they're having a communal experience. Because in the end, that's what this match was. This was a match that was far more memorable than most. Much like, you know, Randy Orton versus Sheamus was in that Raw after WrestleMania. To me, like, it was, an even if it was unintentional, it was an entertaining communal experience just listening to this crowd. And I'm sure way more fun for the, the people that were actually there. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, with Cena, it was... You know, barring some rare cases, it was typically like it enhanced the match because even if it was Cena in the babyface role, they would side with the opponent. And it was the opponent that suddenly became the babyface. And it Cena was excellent at working off of those crowds and peaking the match and, and building it that way. This to me, I, like I wasn't all that entertained by this. I, I hated the Brock Lesnar match at WrestleMania. I, I but, just feel, but, but for me, John, I'm not even watching the match at that point. I'm watching the crowd, like just like I was at, at, at WrestleMania. I was I was watching all the beach balls in the crowd. To me, that was like an amazing spectacle to see this. You know, it's it's a spectacle, but to me, a 16 minute one, it's like I was just kind of zoned out of it. Like you're hmm. right, you're not losing one's attention. But to me, I I don't think this is some grand plan. I, I think we're we're trying to analyze this way too much. I just think it's... Isn't that what we do on the show? Well, um, I, I don't think that they have this idea that this is um, 
some kind of a big win. I think they're just at a real misunderstanding of, of who this character is, who the audience for him is. And I don't know. I, I just don't understand how you go into this. It's such a long show, too, where Roman was not the star on this show. And this needed to be 16 minutes as opposed to half that time, uh, if not a quarter of that time. I feel like I would have even been disappointed if this was that short. Because to me, this was not a chance for Roman and Jinder to perform. This was a match for Chicago to perform and to see what they had. And I mean, Chicago, you did great all show. But for this match, you got to show me some new material. I've heard NXT chants. I've heard CM Punk chants. Boring chance. This is awful chance. I've heard it all before. Give me something new. You know, where were where were the what did we what were some of the our suggestions? Like them turning their backs all in unison, uh umbrellas. <laughs> the umbrellas. Yeah. Nothing like that. Like this was a I, I think if this was like a London crowd, I feel like we would have had, had or a post WrestleMania crowd. The crowd might have been a bit more creative with, with their taking over. Yeah, it just, uh, like, I don't think Roman Reigns has found anywhere near the ability to adapt to these kinds of environments like John Cena did. I, I think it's a really under underappreciated uh, skill set that John Cena had uh, working off these crowds and not making it feel like a Rol- kind of dismal Rol- point of the show. Like, I, I don't look forward to this. I don't look forward to... Uh, Reigns and this eventual rematch with Brock Lesnar for a crowd that's uh, not going to be into it from the from like I don't care what the build is, yeah. That audience is not going to be into that match. Well, I'll say I'd much prefer Roman in this kind of capacity in, in the middle of a show against in a nothing match against Jinder Mahal than than him in the main event. Absolutely, but yeah. you know he's going to be in that main event. Mm-hmm. I mean that's that's where this is all like they they are constantly bringing up on commentary the- this Brock Lesnar. This title that Reigns believes is his. Oh, God. I really don't want to see that Brock match again. But if it's gender against, or sorry, if it's Roman against somebody else, hopefully that someone else is somebody the crowd actually likes. Well, there's fewer and fewer of them. Mm. So we will see. Uh, th- this felt like the end of this feud, I would hope. Mm. Um, anyway, we can add this to the list. So uh, then they aired this video on uh, Katie Miller, who is one of the. Uh, Special Olympians, uh, this power lifter, and they came back and this this whole audience chanted her name. I thought it was a very nice moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they like flipped the switch. They got all their anger out in the last match, and then they did a really nice gesture for this woman. Then we got Carmella and Oscar for the SmackDown Women's Title. It started off with a slap delivered by Carmella, and then Oscar attacking her with several hip attacks, including sending Carmella off the apron. And then Carmella yanked Asuka's arm into the post, and she took over control of the match. Asuka caught a kick, went for a knee bar, and then threw a drop kick that barely connected that Carmella went down from. I guess she was studying her uh, Lars Sullivan black mass spots. Sorry, was this the Asuka kick or the Carmella kick to the apron? Uh, this was Asuka just throwing a regular oh, drop yes, kick. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, they, cut, they cut to a different angle, so it, it didn't look as pronounced. Asuka just nailed her with strikes and then flew through the ropes when she missed her, landing on the floor, and Carmella ended up uh, knocking her off the edge of the apron. So Asuka took this big bump onto her back on the floor. Carmella followed with a suicide dive, and then Asuka came back with two spinning back fists when all of a sudden 
someone dressed up as Asuka appears on the ring apron. And they cut to Asuka, who is just completely under a trance. She's just drawn to this person. She's completely stuck. She can't move. And some people actually started chanting CM Punk. <laughs> it was very funny. That was that was impressive. That was very funny. Yeah. The fake Asuka unmasks, and it is James Ellsworth. Carmella nails Asuka with a kick and pins her in 11.04 to retain the title. I thought this finish was just terrible. I loved it. Oh, oh dude, I thought it was great. Listen, say what you will about maybe Asuka's position. I'm very happy to see James Ellsworth back. I think I am too. I'm not upset at the return of James Ellsworth. I just I go back to what you said over and over about Oscar being the one in this role to look like such a fool here. Right. She can't even she can't even uh, fight under this this fucking hex that's mm. been put on her. Uh, I, I just I hated all this with Oscar. Um, but Ellsworth being back is a big bonus for Carmella. I think I've given up on, on maybe their positioning of, of Asuka. Um, just kind of seeing how they've treated the character. It's not, I, I just don't get the sense that they really know where to go with her after she does win the title in NXT. Yeah. She was kind of like the, the dominant champion. And I, and I thought that worked really well, but for whatever reason, they, mm, I don't know if they know how to do that with a, with a non-speaking character or a character who doesn't cut long promos. On the main roster, so I, I I wasn't as disappointed. To me, I feel like Asuka is, is still Asuka. She's an upper tier wrestler, but maybe not somebody at, that they want to give the title to at the moment. But I also kind of just see this as them really wanting to establish Carmella and realizing, I think rightfully, that she was really lacking something without James Ellsworth. James Ellsworth with somebody was somebody there who, first of all, kind of completed her 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 visual, her look. Uh, her entourage, and, and and also, more importantly, added credibility to her wrestling. Cheating should be the only way Carmella can win. And it should be the only way she could credibly beat somebody, anybody in her division, really, like the, the likes of Charlotte and certainly Asuka. So ever since she lost Ellsworth, she lost that. Him coming back, I think, is a is a real admission of that, that they were wrong, essentially. Um, but I think more importantly, this also sets up Becky to take the belt off of Carmella. Um, and I think Becky is somebody who needs the belt more than Asuka does. Yeah, I, I don't know what you do with Asuka at this point. I, I think she just becomes another another face in the crowd on SmackDown. I mean, she might take the anonymous role Becky's been playing yeah. on, on SmackDown. Sure. Like, I think this is a really low point for her. And I was pretty disappointed with this match. I didn't come in with much high expectations. But especially for an Asuka match, I, I thought this was very... Yeah, Carmella is at the level of like... I, I mean, at the bottom level, I would say, of, of some of the opponents we've we've seen Asuka with. So, yeah. I mean, it, it is what it is. They want to Ellsworth, make Carmella. Ellsworth did get the big surprise pop when they revealed uh, it to be him. No exploding camera. Uh, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. That would have helped Asuka maybe a little bit. Uh, they promoted the Super Showdown happening in Melbourne, Australia later this October at the 100,000-seat MCG, the Melbourne Cricket Ground. So this will be a... Uh, it looks like this is going to be treated exactly like the Greatest Royal Rumble. It's going to be on the WWE Network on a Saturday morning uh, from Australia, from an enormous venue. 
and they are promoting Triple H versus The Undertaker for the last time ever. After I suggested they do some more of these last time ever's Hmm. on uh, one of our shows this week. So there you go. Free idea. I was sick of all these first time ever's. I wanted a last time ever, and we're (laughs) going to get one between these two. AJ Styles, Shinsuke Nakamura in the last man standing match. And I will say this. If you did not see this show, I would say up until now, there was there was some good, there was some bad. But the final two hours of this show, I think you could watch those final two hours, and I think you'll leave a pretty satisfied viewer. Would you agree with that? I mean, I, I was satisfied up until this point. So, um, yeah, this for, wasn't a, for, for this wasn't bad, a bad show. It was like, you know, it was... I thought it was a good show. It was show. just going along. Yeah. It was it had its its high points. Uh but, but yeah, definitely the last three matches uh were probably the ones that we, we would talk about the most. Yeah. So the match begins. Last man standing for the WWE title, and Nakamura dominates the beginning portion of this match. He's attacking the ribs of Styles. They're going all over the place, uh, sets him up on the barricade, and Nakamura knocked him off balance. It was just Tons of selling from AJ. Um, almost throughout this match, I there's a point in this match where you just see AJ Styles just being beaten to death here. That you kind of saw the writing on the wall that he's getting the big comeback here. Um, mm. Styles uh, eventually fought back with uh, with strikes and landed a drop kick. So Nakamura is coming off the turnbuckle. Both are down, and Corey Graves states, "You know, we could get another." Double count out here as the referee is counting, which really does bring up the question of why why this match then? Mm. We're coming back from a double count out. Let's put them in a match where they can theoretically both be counted out. But amazingly, that did not happen. Styles went for the Styles Clash, and then Nakamura attempted the low blow, but Styles got out of the way before it could land. Uh, then they fought by the announcer's desk, and AJ was propped up on one of the desks, Nakamura ran across all three desks, hitting the Kinshasa, but Styles got up at the count of nine. And I thought AJ's ability to really stagger and sell these blows and then just get up at the count of nine, uh, I thought it was a strength of the match was just AJ's selling. Totally agree. Totally agree. I, I think it's like the the since watching uh, New Japan a lot more, I think like there's a we, we both say, you know, there's a real art to making it back into the ring before the count of 20. And it's a it's an art that I I don't feel like is the countouts aren't nearly as dramatic for some reason in in the WWE but something like this where you don't have to necessarily climb back into a ring and it's a lot more maybe unpredictable uh I I thought both these men did did those uh, near what do you call them near counts really well yeah um, Nakamura clearly learning from his old chaos stablemate removed the turnbuckle padding but then ran his knee, missing AJ, and ran his knee into Mm. the exposed buckle, allowing AJ to apply the calf crusher, which Nakamura tapped to, but it didn't matter in this kind of a match. A great great setup. Great setup with, like, exposing the turnbuckle, running the knee in the buckle, and then following up with the calf crusher. Yeah, then then Styles grabbed the chair and just waffled him, nailed him in the knee, the back. Nakamura was begging for him to stop, and then Styles went to swing the chair and kill him, when he got hit with the low blow and Styles just got up to beat the count and then he's leveled with the Kinshasa after getting up and this was the the best near finish I thought because you really felt that Nakamura had killed him but 
the announcers, who I thought were very good in this match, mm-hmm. they brought up that Nakamura used the injured knee to hit the Kinshasa and therefore did not hit it at full strength, did not hit the full effect of the Kinshasa. And it, it was a little thing to kind of protect the Kinshasa because it wasn't going to be the finish. And Styles got up at nine. Uh, Nakamura continued. He went for a landslide on the announcer's desk, but his knee gave out. And Styles hit a phenomenal forearm off the desk, lifted Nakamura onto the steel steps and hit a Styles clash onto the floor. And Nakamura just got up when AJ had thought he had won the match. And Nakamura tells him to bring it on. And Styles fucking soccer kicks him right into the balls. And Nakamura's down, holding on to the announce desk as AJ hits a springboard phenomenal forearm from the ring to the desk. Both men are down. Styles gets up first. Nakamura doesn't. AJ wins at 31.05. I'm going to go out on a limb way and assume that this uh, blew away their other WWE matches for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was awesome. Yeah, this was great. Uh, yeah, like you say, my favorite probably of uh, their series. I thought it was a match that, that was an exercise in delayed gratification. A very slow-paced match by its nature. You know, you're stopping so often for, for these 10 counts. Uh, but it was one that really built wonderfully. They started off with very kind of, you know, like, uh, things that you knew weren't finishes. This was kind of very much like an Iron Man match in that, like, you know, the beginning, you're not going to see really anything, but they continue to escalate and they, they just, every big move that's delivered is given its, its due. You know, every, every big move is that it, that is delivered is particularly, particularly towards like the last, you know, 10 minutes of the match, you feel it could actually end it. And, it doesn't end it. And so they have to step the step it up. They have to do things like, you know, like um, uh, styles clash off of the steps and then that doesn't work. And then you do the low blow and then you do the, the forearm from the top. I thought the callbacks to the first matches were really great too. Um, it, it really built wonderfully well in terms of intensity and, and risk of spots. So I thought a very well laid out, very well executed match. Great selling from both men here. Uh, my favorite of the series. Yeah. To me, this, this was hands down Nakamura's best main main roster performance. And honestly, as a match, this didn't have the atmosphere of that great Sami Zayn debut match. Uh, but just as a match, I-, I thought this was his best WWE match. I-, I could totally accept that. Yeah. I mean, I'll have to go back to, to watch that. But this was, I mean, a crowd that I thought, mm, okay, at this point, they're not as hot for Nakamura as, as they probably were for that one. But um, Th- that one, it was just electric, that atmosphere mm-hmm. in Dallas that night. But I, I just think if you were to watch the two matches just as matches, um, I, I just I love so many of the little subtleties in this match, the the usage of the knee. And again, I you know, for um, some of the criticism WWE commentary gets. And again, this was the SmackDown team, which mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked about um, th- these three are I really enjoy these three together. That being uh, Tom Phillips, Corey Graves and Byron Saxton. I think they're very good, yeah. I mean, when I say that they're very good, uh, again, I think what we consider good these days is how often do we necessarily notice them? How often do they get in our way of enjoying the match? And they don't, for the most part. I, I think these three, whenever they, I hear them on SmackDown, it's just they do a good job of just calling the match and telling me what I need to know and pointing out things that I, I didn't uh, didn't notice. So, yeah, good job to those guys. Yeah, so I know going into this, you know, myself included, it seemed like a good time that you could switch the title onto Nakamura. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as I was like thinking about it uh, today and looking at, well, what opponents does Nakamura have as a champion? It, like babyface opponents. Uh, I, I've 
didn't really want to see them go to the rematch program right away with AJ. I think these two have to get away from one another. And that leaves you with Daniel Bryan, which is, that's a perfectly viable program you could do. I just don't get the sense that that was going to be your next title program. With AJ, there's there's a lot more options uh, with him uh, in terms of heels that he can work with, with with Joe, uh, with... Um, who who are some of the others um, that I was uh, thinking of? Big Cass. <laughs> Big Cass. I mean, Andrade's in the mix, too. Yeah. How serious you want to be with him. Um, there is the Miz. There is yeah. there, Rusev, there's a lot more. You know? yeah. There's even, like, uh, if Randy Orton comes back, uh, he could end up being a heel if he comes back. So, um, you know, yeah. I, I think you, you could have gone either way if you were bound and determined. And you can also do AJ and Brian, too. Um, as baby faces, so but that seems- reasoning is is was what I think when they when I think about why they haven't put the title on Asuka, it's it's that they mm, I mean she does have programs, but at the same time I do feel like they have a bit of a they see it as a bit of a handicap that you know writing for Nakamura is not an easy thing like this 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 AJ program that they built up to it until this point I'm sure has taken a lot of effort in order to really like create this Nakamura character and create a compelling program simply based off of counting to ten. It took months to do this, and I, I I feel like as a as a writing team, I don't know if I have the confidence, or even if they have the confidence in that in that that they can make Nakamura a compelling champion week in and week out on a two hour TV show every single week. Then we had Nia Jax, Ronda Rousey for the Raw Women's Title, and uh, at this point in the show, were you surprised they were not putting this one on last? Um. Not, not, not really. Uh, maybe a, a part of me, c- considering like how much they they've been promoting this one uh, on on all the kind of commercials and everything, I, I I I kind of expected it maybe in the in the um, main event, but because of the inexperience of both women, I, I I thought this was the better move. So the audience took to this as you know one of if not the biggest matches on the show. They were just buzzing as this match began. And Jax just steamrolls her at the beginning. She hit this beal, a pair of avalanches, hit her with a headbutt after Rousey had come at her with her striking, uh, which just infinitely better than many people that have had a lot more time to work on striking amongst their uh, their pro wrestling days. Are you talking? <laughs> you're talking about Ronda? Yes. Yeah, it's amazing though that like Ronda, who I think. In her MMA career, like the biggest thing anyone has ever criticized about her is her lack of striking. Yet in pro wrestling, she is an expert now. Yeah, I don't know. It's the it's the strangest thing. Well, it looks good. Uh, like she's she her shadow boxing looks good, and that's all it needs. It doesn't need to be powerful. Uh, so Jax lifts her onto her shoulders, and then Rousey goes for a Kimura, taking her down to the mat, and then transition to her back. And is trying to lock the arm, and Jax just nails her with this sit-out power bomb, lifting her up. Rousey then, after taking this power bomb, she like falls through the ropes and dumps herself on the floor, which was either this awesome way to sell this power bomb and the effects of it, or was a happy accident that I thought totally worked for the match. Like she I, she was selling like she was concussed here and i thought it was outstanding well i didn't even think anything of it so maybe that tells you how like how natural it seemed to me like they didn't even show it in the replay like it seemed like she just lost her balance and fell Mm. through the ropes um i i thought it was you know how whatever it was whether it was planned or not it it worked very well um 
So Rousey is just all disoriented. And her selling was probably coming into this was to me going to be the biggest obstacle because it's just Mm -hmm. so different for an athlete to come in and understand just the concept of it, the philosophy of it. Mm -hmm. And Rousey was excellent here. Mm -hmm. Like throughout the whole match, Mm -hmm. like it was just like, she is a natural at this and that's hard for a lot of people to hear, but she really is. Yeah. Like I, I really like, I expected her to be like this good, but then I saw some of those like moments that she had before, even that Stephanie match where I had some cause for concern, you know, like she looked very clunky in some of those like talking segments where she did have to do some physical stuff. Like, like the karate chop block, I still don't like. Um, and, and it's stuff like that that really had me worried. But in the Stephanie match, in this match, really, she, this did not feel like somebody's second match. I'll say that. Yeah. I mean, the first match, you can, you can certainly see like the, she got by a lot on her athleticism. It was a match that I'm sure they, they spent a lot of time going through. But in this match, I, I fully believe this match was heavily laid out mm-hmm. and they worked a lot on this match, but it was a lot of the intangible things that you can't just follow a, a guidance from somebody. Right. Like she was doing a lot of just natural movements and selling that went above and beyond just having tremendous producers um, attached to this match. So that mm-hmm. kind of stood out for me. Yeah. Uh, Rousey then went for this jumping guillotine and got, uh, she flipped over for a sunset flip. Jax picks her up and puts her in a bear hug. Jonathan Coachman explains that while the bear hug might be favoring Ronda Rousey, and Coachman says, uh, pardon the fuck? What? And Coachman is like, well, hear me out. She was she was injured before from the power bomb, and now she's resting. Oh, and God. Cole and Graves, first of all, like you're completely diminishing this bear hug spot. Thank you very much, Coachman. You're this diminishing even... wrestling moves in general. Exactly. Like this is a, supposed to be this monster is is sucking the life out of this woman, and you're treating it like a rest. Cole and Graves ate him alive. With Graves ending it by saying, how are you still employed? <laughs> like, this is Ronda Rousey, our biggest fucking project. And I could just imagine that this was Vince McMahon co- uh, contacting Jonathan Coachman via Michael Cole and Corey Graves. Because this dude, Coachman, was just, I don't know. I don't know what to say other than what Corey Graves Again, said. like, some of these things are so bad that I my only explanation sometimes is to think, oh, maybe they're doing an intentional intentionally bad thing maybe coach is out here to intentionally say stupid things like call john mayer a hip-hop artist just to light up the internet well then they really do deserve emmy considerations because he is the best performing actor that they've (laughs) got um rousey did get out of the bear hug and she stuns Jax and she climbs to the top and she's still selling the effects of this power bomb like she's not all with it and she hits a crossbody it's also the idea that she's never jumped off the top rope before. So the fact that yes. she went she went up there, she slightly lost her balance. And I think everybody held, we all held our breath. You know, this is Ronda Rousey on the top rope for the first time. But even like that little losing her balance totally added to it because it felt real. She hit the flying knee to Jax and then gave her this massive judo throw for a two count. And then she went for the arm bar. Jax stacked her and Rousey hit... Um, which 
looks like a Samoan drop, but Rousey has actually identified it as the standing reverse kataguruma and then went for the armbar. And they're, the, the shot is in tight on Rousey as she's just about to lock it on when Alexa Bliss enters from behind and nails Rousey with the briefcase and then beats the shit out of Nia with the briefcase. So the match is thrown out 10 minutes and 50 seconds, which if you had told me that these two were going to have a close to 11-minute match and it would be really good... Um, I, I was not as pessimistic as others were about this match. I thought it was going to certainly be um, handled very carefully, and I thought that Rousey is... I don't think she has gotten enough credit yet already for how she's taken to this, uh, but this even exceeded my expectations, this match. Yeah, certainly. I, I, I'm i with you. I wasn't really... I like We're talking about Ronda Rousey, somebody who they have a lot invested in. They are going to do everything in their power to make sure that nothing goes wrong. Okay, and mm-hmm. and that means ha- rehearsing a match many, however many times, getting the best minds in the world planning this match, working on every spot, making sure that everything goes off perfectly. I thought they both did a great job, and I thought anybody involved in this match probably did a great job, wh- whoever they are. I and thought- this was not this was not a match without risk either. There yeah. was a lot of you know ambitious stuff here, and let's be honest, like Nia Jax is not your most seasoned performer. She would be at the lower scale of that. So I thought this was a win for both of them, yeah. not just uh, Ronda. Like, Nia played the the monster very well. She, um, she has grown so much in her confidence since she's been up on the main roster. Like, if you remember those first few squash matches she had, it was just like she did not come across like a convincing monster. You compare that, that Nia to, to how she is right now, she, she is way be- better. And I think this was, I mean, obviously this was her biggest test to date, and I thought she did very well. Uh, they picked some really great, you know, good, spectacular, but like relatively safe spots for all of them. I thought Rousey's like jujitsu and judo were were used very effectively. Um, great fire, good selling from Ronda, and she had this crowd from the beginning, thankfully, and she didn't disappoint them in the end. So Bliss continues her attack. She takes Ronda to the floor and tosses her over the announcer's desk, which eliminated Ronda from the ring and kind of took her out of sight, out of mind. And then she comes back and she just nails Nia with this briefcase. Like these two had clearly just in the said, arm. Ju- in the yeah, arm. In, in the arm, but she was like overhanding this thing, like at a right. huge velocity at, at Nia. Um, it made it look very painful. And then she cashes in the briefcase and hits a DDT, hits the injured arm of Jax with the, uh, with the briefcase uh, which has already been attacked with the armbar setup from Rousey, uh, tying that all together. And then she hits Twisted Bliss and pins Nia in 32 seconds. Um, I, I thought that this entire chapter of the Money in the Bank show, uh, I, I don't think you could have done any better than this for what you set out to achieve. And on top of that, uh, did you get the sense way that Alexa may have inherited the spot that they had kind of earmarked for Natalia or do you think that this could have this hmm. doesn't necessarily eliminate Natalia's uh, eventual role in all of this because this seems something that you could have easily inserted Natalia into if you had opted to have her win the briefcase it, it's very possible your suggestion I mean I if there is a reason why they decided not to go with Natalia perhaps it's it's because this crowd I don't think has bought into that program um Alexa versus Ronda will be a bigger match than Natalia versus Ronda. 
perhaps you can, you know, delay the Natalia match for, for some other time. Give give the audience a bit more reason to convince them that that relationship is, is actually genuine before you go into something like that. Uh, it's very true, but I, I, it's very possible, but I do, I think, enjoy having Alexa be the champion up against a Ronda Rousey right now. So do you think we go to that match first or do we go to uh, Alexa versus Nia? I think that, yeah, it's, it's, they can do a three way as well. But I don't. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I, see don't that. I don't like that. I don't like that for Rousey. I I liked what they achieved here. They they didn't beat either woman. They kept Rousey unbeaten uh, and without the title, which I think is important. And the audience didn't feel ripped off. I think they. In, mm-hmm. in fact, they got something a bonus here with this uh, cash in. So it would make sense that Ronda first and foremost would want revenge on Alexa, and I could see something. Maybe you want to get some kind of program in there that detours Ronda so that Nia can go with Alexa and then maybe Ronda and Natalia are linked to the riot squad or something like that. Something that takes mm. their attention away and then you can get back to with Rousey. You have a rematch with Nia down the road. You have the the long term uh, build for her going for the title, um, which maybe that'll happen sooner than later. I mean, she's going to obviously have a major match at SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe Alexa is going to be the SummerSlam match. It's very possible. But to me, you came out of this with many more options for Ronda than you did going in. Yeah, and it's seeing a finish like this that kind of makes me uh, totally understand why they wouldn't give the, 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 the what is it, briefcase to Becky or uh, any of the other women in, in that match. Mm-hmm. Um, they have bigger things to deal with. And obviously, the Ronda Rousey match is probably going to be the biggest match uh, in the entire company at SummerSlam. Well, we'll see, but... Her, her programs are going to be some of the most important. Yeah. And I wouldn't, I, she is, I believe advertised for the July pay-per-view and I don't know. I like, I want to like, this felt special, this match. And I don't mm-hmm. want to lose that. I yeah. think that's something that they've trivialized with Daniel Bryan, where he doesn't feel special. Um, when you could have had that with him, I feel. And with Rousey, you still do have that specialness, even though she's on television every week. When she wrestles, it's an important deal, and I would hate for them to just, well, it's the monthly pay-per-view. She's got to have a match with someone. Mm-hmm. So uh, that finished that. Um, to me, like a home run segment, uh, all of this. And mm-hmm. then the main event, which we were getting very late in the evening, Finn Balor, Samoa Joe, Kevin Owens, Braun Strowman, Bobby Roode, Rusev, The Miz, and representing the New Day, Kofi Kingston in the Money in the Bank ladder match. So the New Day stepping aside for their... Uh, the veteran of the group. Do you like? The I was, choice? I was, I wanted Big E to be in the match, but you know what? If he wasn't winning it, it's not a big deal either way. Um, so I, I, I didn't really care after the fact, but Big E was my choice going into. I, I thought he could be a sleeper pick to win the entire thing, but that was not the direction they were going. I think Kofi is like the one that uh, we associate most with a money in the ladder. Uh, what is it? Money in the bank ladder match. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the crowd was probably happy to see him. Who who did you uh, think was going to win this? Because I did not think it was going to be Braun. I I ended up picking Braun uh, before this match. Oh, okay. Yeah. What, what a retroactive pick way. What did I, mean, I say least, before? I I don't know. I'm just I'm just kidding around. Oh. I I, th- I thought um, Owens and who were the the two I had? I was leaning Owens or did I say? Be- I can't. I, can't I just can't, I just can't see it being a, being. I can't see it being rude. I can't see it being Miz. Uh, no, Kofi, no, Kofi, no. it's it won. Uh, Rusev, they're just so lukewarm on. 
it would have been to me the choices would have been Joe or Braun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the match begins and they fought up to the entrance and buried Braun under this huge pile of ladders uh, where he yeah. remained for several minutes. So it turns out like Kevin Owens was was worried that nobody would help him take out Braun Strowman. It turns out everybody is targeting Braun Strowman. Yeah, they all had the same idea. They just didn't want to help out Kevin Owens because mm-hmm. he's the universal dick. Owens and Balor fought by the announcers' uh, desks, and Balor was placed on the desk, and Owens climbed this giant ladder, and this was his first of many teases of coming off the ladder, and it would have a payoff later in the match, but he backed down because Rusev was, meanwhile, in the ring trying to get the briefcase, and so we we saw you know many different teases of all the different guys having their chance alone in the ring and then someone thwarting them. Uh, Kingston hit that crazy trust fall to... Most of the guys on the floor, Balor followed with a Tope Con Hero. And this is when Strowman emerged from underneath the pile of ladders. And Owens starts plotting with Rusev to get rid of Strowman by the entrance. So Joe applies the Coquina Clutch to Strowman and sends Kevin Owens up this enormous ladder. So he climbs it, but Strowman fights them off and Owens remains at the top. Strowman climbs back up and he won't let Owens climb down. So he throws Owens off this ladder. And goes to this table. And I didn't think they got the best angle no, of the fall. they didn't. And they didn't replay it either. And yeah. I think to, as well in the building, I don't know if they weren't expecting it or they didn't see it that well. It didn't get the reaction I thought it would. Yeah, I mean, keep in mind there's probably so much going on everywhere. Um, and I, I, I am a little worried that they didn't catch that like, you know, beauty shot with the wide angle that we always get for the Shane bumps or, or the Jeff Hardy bumps um, because they did never cut back to it. So hopefully on, on Raw tomorrow, maybe we'll get a better angle. But yeah, this was this was this is the big visual bump of the whole match. Yes. And if it might have been Kevin Owens biggest drop like ever, I, I at least I, I don't recall necessarily seeing him falling from a greater height than that. And this eliminated him from the match. He never came back. Strowman then. Uh, just was like on special mode here. He ran down the ramp and bulldozed through this ladder that was being held up by Rude and Rusev. He just ran through this ladder, breaking it in half. Strowman then pulled Miz down from the main ladder. Joe attacked Strowman, sending him to the floor. And then Rusev killed everyone. And he stacked Kingston, Rude, and Miz on top of each other for a triple accolade, which was stopped by a coquina clutch. Balor then set up Rude in the ring, hit a coup de grace coming off a ladder onto Rude into the ring, and then the finish sees Strowman hit power slams to Joe and Miz. Strowman and Balor are left standing. Kingston springboards onto Strowman's back, so these three are all on the main ladder, and they start fighting. Balor gets dropped. Strowman then throws Kingston away, and Strowman's left alone, and he grabs the briefcase. 1955. Uh, so he wins. Um, I, I'll be honest. I was surprised by this because I didn't think Braun needed it. I didn't think Joe needed it. I thought these guys are in the exact same spot, whether they win or lose this match. It's also a match. You don't have to beat Braun for him to lose. Um, you could have easily protected him. Uh, but instead, yeah, they're going with Strowman, which I guess makes it uh, somewhat interesting for going into the summer of not locking yourself to just Lesnar and Reigns that Strowman is now a, option as well in this whole main event title mix man after like i just can't, i it would 
boggle my mind to see them do Lesnar versus Reigns again. Oh, after, it wouldn't, after not everything. at all. Not in the least. Oh, my goodness. So, I mean, I hope that they come to their senses by doing something like this and give us something like Braun Strowman versus Brock Lesnar for SummerSlam because uh, it's hard for me to accept probably another one of those uh, Reigns versus Lesnar matches. I thought the latter match was, was very good. I, I They did a great job making Strowman an underdog by having everybody go after him. Uh, I thought the match delivered a bunch of great-looking, very spectacular stunts. Um, and, you know, very satisfying overall. I, I would say maybe for me, like, didn't necessarily captivate me as much as the women's match. It was a technically better match, and I thought it was a, yeah, probably a much better executed match. But I found myself more engaged in the perhaps the characters in the women's match than this one. Um, but at, at the end of five hours, John, like, I can't say I felt like it was that it didn't feel like five hours necessarily to me. I mean, it kind of did, but it also I do. I wasn't bored during this this show. Uh, also, the final two hours were a major um, change of opinion for me on this show. This turned into a easy thumbs up show for me um, overall. Uh I, I still believe these are very long shows. Um, I'm not going to complain about them every month. It's what it's what we've got. Um, there was more good on this show than there was bad. There was some bad, um, but overall, a thumbs up show. I thought the final two hours were tremendous uh, on this show. Money in the Bank is one of their to me. Uh, I consider what is it? They're like probably a number four or five show now this year, and and you already have like two matches that are built in that are long matches that are that have great stakes attached to them in two of your your ladder matches. So I feel like that's a match that you already have an advantage with. It's going to be a challenge. Like with some of these other shows, I'm looking at even survivor series, you know, how are you going to really fill that card to make it a compelling five hour experience? Um, extreme rules next month. Way is that like five these, hours? Like these, these are all going to be six o'clock. The kickoff starts and they'll go to, they've said 10 30. So realistically, the first match will get into the ring at six 30. You're looking at a four hour show. But this one was supposed to be four, and it ended up going, Jesus, when, when did we end? It's 11.15 Eastern? Mm-hmm. They went 45 minutes over. Yeah, it was long. Like, if you had any activity during the, the opening part of your day, like if you went out for a Father's Day meal in the afternoon, you probably would have been quite exhausted by the end of this. It's a long day. Um, okay, well, let's um, we'll go to your feedback. My poll tonight uh, was on Twitter about the match of the night. What was your match of the night? Okay, uh, match of the night. Uh, I'm going to say AJ Nakamura was really good. I'll actually put, like, uh, the men's ladder match was very good. I really enjoyed the women's ladder match, but I feel like I'm probably in a minority there. Uh, you know what? Ronda Nye was very good. I'll say Elias Rollins was also very good. So my favorite of those, I think I'm going to go with, uh, I'll say um, Nakamura AJ probably. That was that was my match of the night. Yeah. And that was uh, of the 595 votes, 42% said the last man standing match, 31%. Um, I just put Jack Rousey and included the Alexa cash in as kind of one match. Mm-hmm. Uh, 14% said the women's ladder match and 13% the men's ladder match. So hmm. the women just edged out the men's ladder match. Um, I, I did like the men's match more, but the women's match, it was good. And yeah, you could throw in. Elias and Rollins. And for a show of that length, um, no, this was not Dominion, but this was, this was, as I said, uh, a thumbs up show overall. Mm-hmm. I could, uh, I could have done without some of it, but as a whole, it was a, I thought a pretty good show on Sunday night. Let us go to the feedback way. We probably have a, um, 
a mountain-sized amount of, of feedback. Well, a decent amount here. Scale of 1 to 10. Actually, 0 to 10. 0 to 10. Mm-hmm. We got a 6.24 tonight, Way. Mm. Which I can see. I can yeah. see that. Maybe maybe I'd go a 7, but mm-hmm. in that range. Uh, we start off here with uh, Terry. Welcome back, Way. And happy Father's Day, John. Well, thank you. Very so-so pay-per-view in my eyes. Wished for better outcomes on both Money in the Bank matches, but overall they were very good. Didn't think either Braun or Alexa needed the briefcase. Both Nia and Ronda showed how green they are still. Thought they were both dead at one point. They've totally killed Shinsuke at this point. Think he could have had a nice run with the belt. I don't know. I thought tonight was um, a necessary performance that Nakamura needed. And uh, while he doesn't have the title... um, I, I think the character change has done him wonders, and I think that this really kind of solidified himself as like your an upper upper heel on SmackDown, which is not a bad role to be in, I think. And it'll be dependent on his next program. Yeah, I think, you know, like Terry's feedback, I think much of that really depends on how you see, where you see them going with with these decisions. You know, if if you if you think that they're going with, Braun or Alexa for a reason, which I mean, Alexa we saw kind of paid off at the end. Um, then, then you will, you might like these ideas. But if you were maybe just hoping for a more straightforward Becky Lynn, Becky Lynch wins the briefcase and tries to cash in at some point, you would have been disappointed. So I, I mean, I personally I try to not necessarily judge based off what I want them to do, and and just kind of maybe take it as 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 it comes. Um, but anyway, we go to Brendan. Who you got to be more ne- be be more negative, way. Brendan, last year Baron Cor- I've just been on vacation. I'm just like every the world is great right now. Brendan, last year Baron Corbin loses the case so soon, and now this year's goes to a raw talent. Why? When there are when are they ever going to tease it? It was the one guy who doesn't need the briefcase at all. Does it seem like WWE doesn't care for the Money in the Bank angle anymore? I want to pile, pile on a bit with the gender Roman match. Whoever was producing that match backstage had to know the exact re- reaction they were going to get. How do you justify that formulaic, boring TV match they put together? What was the thinking that goes into that? On the plus side, though, how good did Ronda look? Uh, well, going in order, first of all, I think that the immediate focus is, well, the champion's gone on Raw. In a roundabout way, you now have a prize that everyone can kind of gun for. Like, Braun is like your unofficial champion now he holds the key to this world title so i think it gives you a focus on raw as well like braun could come out and say anyone that wants this can get these hands and get this briefcase Mm. and it's and and that gets you through a july pay-per-view and listen it you and me are on the same page i would i would love if they did the lesnar braun uh, match for SummerSlam. i think that would be way more enticing and Braun would be my choice to beat Brock, but mm-hmm. I'm not optimistic on that happening given what they have put so much time into this damn Roman Reigns feud and him coming up short that I feel it is going to be Roman in, in, in there at the very least in a three-way. Oh, we'll see. Uh, your turn. Oh, Brandon. I enjoyed this show for the most part. It wasn't great, but it was far from some of their shit shows in recent memory. I thought Ronda and Nia stole the show. I had no expectations going into that, and it turned out to be a fun little match, and I love Alexa, so I loved how it ended. I hope we see Alexa and Ronda for SummerSlam, and they don't blow it at Extreme Rules. I highly disagree with the people that are disappointed about Nakamura not winning. The guy is not championship material. 
Don't get me wrong. I love the guy, but he just doesn't cut it as a main event guy in this company. 98% of his offense is kicks and knees. In New Japan, that works. In WWE, such a simplification. In WWE, it is no different than Jinder Mahal, whose offense is kicks and punches. If Nakamura was a homegrown talent, he wouldn't be getting so much love. Uh, I disagree. I, th- I think Nakamura would be just fine in the role. Um, he's a different uh, kind of personality. Um, but to me, he... Um, I, I think he would work if they had put the title on him. I, I think that it would have it would have worked. It, it would be a different type of show. I feel um, like it would be a different type of title ring than than I think what we've seen. Like mm, trying to think of like a a champion who who is very kind of like uh, uh, um, I don't know, unless he had a manager do a lot of talking for him. But then I don't know, it it it. it It'd just be different. Like, who's the last champion who didn't really say that much? Oscar. On uh, the main roster. On the main roster. Yeah, because um, I mean, Nakamura was a champion in NXT. Yeah, and I, I don't. I mean, but how long was he champion for? And it's also a very different show. Um, it's a different show, but it's like they also go, they go outside of the box of like they kind of cater their their presentation to the performer in question. And they have a much stellar track record of getting a more wide variety of performers over than kind of this idea that, well, you have to be able to do the opening 10-minute promo and you've got to be able to do these skits backstage mm-hmm. instead of catering the show around your star and saying, well, this doesn't really work for this guy. Okay, and- so, right. I, I'm just trying to think about this. Let's say Nakamura was your champion. What would be the regular kind of week-to-week segments you would expect to see featuring him if you didn't want to give him a match every single week? Like, we, we've talked about the subtitles. We've talked, like, th- this last, like, four months, have they been that bad? But, no, but I'm saying it took this long to get to this point. Like, when it started, I guess it was okay, too, but I wasn't blown away by it. And I think, mm, you know, it requires a very strong performer on the other end to 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 do the talking. And AJ, I, I would consider that type of strong performer at this point. And, and plus a, a great level of, of writing as well attached to it. All I'm saying is, of course it could work. Of course he could be a champion. Of course. It's just like, I just, <laughs> I don't have the faith in, in this system that, that to cater it towards him. Well, that that's a different issue. Um to me, I, I look at people like, like I, I like the idea of different styles and different uh, performers that you're going to get across that I don't look at someone that can't speak English fluently as a, as a deterrent. I look at that as like an interesting challenge to present something different that we're mm-hmm. not used to that can be totally different. Um, you know, you have a champion on Raw that's, that's not even there. And there's positives to that. There's negatives to it, but there's also positives to... Uh, someone that you want to have it feel important when they do show up uh, with Ronda Rousey. It's, it's something different. Yeah. I guess, I mean, if you're, we're talking like Brock Lesnar, who's, he's not, who's not even around. Um, I mean, he's not even around to talk. So if it works with him, then I guess it could work with anybody. Can it? We, uh, yeah. You're up. We got a Chris from Melbourne who says, I'm sorry, but there was almost nothing redeemable from this show. My only highlight was the Brian entrance and Alexis cash in. I'm sorry to sound so cynical, but for a co-branded event, everything apart from the two Money in the Bank matches just felt like filler. Almost nobody is over to a superstar level, and those of who are 
those who are over to the crowd are stuck in poor booking. Finally, Braun wins the Money in the Bank match. A guy who not only does not need it, but who brands, but whose brand's champions is never around. Remember when Naomi was stripped of the championship as she couldn't meet the 30-day title defense? Well, Brock's last TV network de- TV defense was 52 days. Well, maybe he's got a special clause in his contract. Yeah, he's he's going to cash in his own money in the bank at, uh, you know, the winner of Stipe and Daniel Cormier. Um, no, I like, listen, up until that final two hours, I can understand if people weren't that hot on this show. Like, I wasn't thinking this was all that great of a show. But once I put those final two hours on, I have a really hard time hating on this show. Like, I was I was pretty happy um, with the show as a whole. Like, I, I outlined the kind of uh, the things I didn't enjoy. This was far from a perfect show. But those final two hours were really st- strong i can't i can't give a thumbs down when it had that uh level of quality to it at the end uh jesse from the six his six takeaways number one they've already ruined any real money-making potential with lashley uh lashley has been a disaster Mm -hmm. two creatively the women's division is in shambles three vince must get off on making smart mark crowds sit through formulaic roman reigns matches seriously though how much better would it have been if roman had squashed gender in 60 seconds i think that's Anyone with any kind of foresight into tonight's crowd would have come to the same conclusion, and it's stunning that they didn't as well. Not uh, unless Vince McMahon does get off on smart, making smart mark crowds sit through for listen, like Roman Reigns may, matches. Maybe they felt, hey, we're the ones that dictate to you. You're the ticket-buying public, and you're going to get what we are presenting to you, and you're getting 16 minutes of this. There, there's certainly a part, part of me that feels like Vince loves seeing this crowd react the way they do you know, to Roman Reigns. Like, he seems to be the man with the type of humor that that would appreciate beach ball. Maybe not to the point of them ruining a show. That's why he, he probably bans them. Well, they, they banned but, them. Yeah. But I don't uh, know. He just seems like the type that would be in that crowd cheering against uh, Roman Reigns or, or Jinder Mahal sometimes. It's unfortunate to me that, to me, like, I, I still maintain, like, Roman Reigns is a very, very good performer. And I feel that this this whole creative and this character are really just painting him as in this horrible light amongst a lot of your core audience. And there's they seem to be completely fine with with this version of Roman Reigns that we have seen for years at this point. There's no seemingly need to adjust or change course. They're completely happy with this. Yeah. Uh he goes on to say Ronda Rousey is adapting to professional wrestling incredibly quickly. The WWE is very good at laying out multi-man ladder matches. And Samoa Joe is a star. The aura and personality of that man is incredible right now. They're crazy if they don't put the title on him by the end of the year. And maybe that that's AJ's next program is Joe. Yeah, sure. That, I'd love that. That. Could, be, that could be a great option. Mm. We go to Steve from Sydney, Australia. After watching New Japan Pro Wrestling's Dominion and NXT TakeOver Chicago, which features some incredible matches and quite possibly the greatest match of all time, when you compare that to Money in the Bank, do you think wrestling would be a lot more popular and respected as a sport-slash-entertainment product if more people were aware of these matches going on in other programs? Matches like Gargano and Ciampa and Omega, Omega and Okada are the types of matches I would show people to get them hooked on wrestling. I feel that these shows deserve more viewers when the quality is just untouchable. While Money in the Bank had its moments, I feel like it's nowhere near as rewatchable as the other content mentioned earlier. Well, listen, the point is, you know... Eliminate New Japan, but 
TakeOver is just as accessible to the same people that watch Money in the Bank tonight. And way more people are going to watch Money in the Bank than are going to watch TakeOver. So it's, um, it's, it's there for people to compare and contrast. But the fact is that you're going to get on a, on a weekend like this, the WWE Network, um, they're going to have a high volume of, of viewers tuning in. But it's going to be a much larger amount tuning in for the Sunday night show than it is the Saturday night show. Um, and as well, from a ticket buying perspective, one show sold out and one didn't. So there is, you know, the uh, so much of that is like branding and accessible, like TV deals, you know, and just the, the years, right, of, of, of the WWE creating its brand. Um, but you know, like like Stevie's question about, um, you know, would wrestling be more popular and respected? I mean. I guess who really cares, you know? And if you enjoy it, then great. Like you, you got it. Like it's like this with, with with almost any type of art. I find a band I really like, and I love it. I don't really care if it's popular. I don't. I don't. Maybe sometimes I don't want it to be that popular and on the radio. I want it to myself, and as long as I'm enjoying it, then great. If more people like it, then that's great too. Yeah, it's. Uh... You know, you, you can look at your own taste of, you know, which products of wrestling you enjoy more. The fact is that the WWE, where they are very highly respected, is amongst, you know, television programmers right now who look at a number and are very happy with that and are paying it in inordinate amounts of money for this programming. Um, so that's it, it's very hard to change the philosophy of a company when you have that level of, you know, guaranteed revenue that is you know not forcing you at all to change any way of which you operate your business uh joe from h-town how is wwe and nxt run by the same company total contrast in shows last man standing was slow and ended very fast find me a ref who starts to count appropriately and accurately best aj and shinsuke nakamura match though how great is ronda she's a natural find a better outfit please accident waiting to happen fell asleep during main event what was the purpose of roman versus gender what a waste. I'm okay. surprised by so much negativity to this show. I like I listen, we complain as much as the next person when they put out an awful main card pay-per-view show, but I really didn't feel this was one that was like yeah, you can find things to complain about on this show, but as a whole, I didn't think this was a bad show. And I think that's yeah. a really hard argument to make. Right, yeah. But I mean, who knows? Like that that was just our viewing of it. I mean, I, I feel like I like this show more than you did. Um, yeah. And then Joe might have found way more fault than we did. So um, everybody has different viewings of it. Sure, whatever. We got a Chris from Virginia. I enjoyed the show as a whole, but it definitely had its problems. The worst match was Jinder versus Roman by a mile as the crowd completely destroyed it and for good reason. I was not a fan of the booking decisions, especially Nakamura losing. I agree that Nakamura and Styles had a great match, but Nakamura's character is damaged after this result. Hopefully he doesn't get lost in the mid-card shuffle. Raw winning both briefcases was also a downer, but the action to me was solid for the most part. Well, Raw didn't win both briefcases. They won one, and then the other one just basically doesn't exist. Like, only one briefcase will exist from this point on. So, SmackDown won both last year. What's, you know, what's the big deal? So, I'm okay, anyway, he says NXT was the better show this weekend, but that's like saying the sun came up today. Happy Father's Day, everyone. All right, next one here. I highly enjoyed the first half of the pay-per-view up until and after the women's money in the bank match. Everything was basic and solid, but then after that, we had Reigns versus Mahal, which I literally turned on my Hulu and watched something on there that was 
then watch that match. And Carmella versus Asuka, which was insulting that Ellsworth is back and cost her the match. Man, I love, I love that. I, I really did. <laughs> then there was Nakamura versus Styles, and while their match was nice and good, I'm disappointed Nakamura didn't win. I'd like to imagine he just won, wants to go back to Japan to be part of this year's G1. Well, that is not happening. Bliss and Strowman I winning is... I doubt that. I'm sure he's having the time of his life wrestling for the WWE right now. Uh, Bliss and Strowman winning is odd, but what else is new with the WWE? Thank you for the great content. Hope all is well, and you guys are staying happy. Well, thank you. We are, we are staying happy. Um, let us continue. Okay, let's uh, let's make this the last one because we. Okay. I, I really want to upload the show. Uh, so okay. so we got to uh, finally from Saucy Duke who says, guys, I think I'm done with main roster WWE. I stopped watching Raw years ago, gave up on SmackDown when Jinder won the title, and now I think I'm done with the pay per views. It wasn't an awful show. It had a few highlights. Ronda looked great. The ladder matches were fun. Elias and Seth was good. Nakamura and Styles had, had a fantastic match, and the Bliss cash-in felt important. So why this show to give up on main roster WWE? I think it was seeing WWE's tone-deaf booking of Roman Jinder in a 15-minute plotting sub-caliber Raw match in Chicago, and Asuka getting beaten by Carmella, sacrificing three years of character development, a streak, and Charlotte's breaking of that streak, all to get an awful wrestler in Carmella unsuccessfully over that it finally dawned on me, with these insane new TV contracts, WWE is never going to change, or at least not anytime soon. It'll never be what I want it to be, and with that, I feel an overwhelming sense that I'm wasting my time on it. The Fed has been in worse shape in the past, but never have I felt so resigned to it not overcoming its creative slump. This feedback might feel like overkill, but I still love professional wrestling, and with so many promotions providing what I want out there right now, with easy access, it's time to break the WWE habit of a lifetime. Oh, my goodness. Wow. This was it. Money in the bank. 2018. I'm done. All right. Um, that's going to wrap up a very lengthy show here. Uh, we spent the, these long pay-per-views way. They, mm-hmm. uh, they are a chore to, uh, to run down and uh, review. But uh, we are going to catch up on all the new stuff uh, Monday night on the show. So um, tune in Monday. We'll have a review of Raw. We'll also go over all the, uh, the G1 notes. If you want to see the list of all the participants, they announced them on Sunday uh, that is up at postwrestling.com, and uh, we will also be chatting about uh, – we'll chat about Raw, and then on the overrun, we're going to review Total Bellas, and and we're going to review the WWE 24 special on the Hardys, which I've already received some feedback on. Um, that was apparently very strong, so hmm, cool. that is uh, going to be on the overrun for members of the Post Wrestling Cafe, um, so that will be up late Monday night, so go check on that, and we'll – update you on the latest G1 stuff and whatever else is going on. So go on over to postwrestling.com, postwrestlingcafe.com, and everyone message Way. Welcome him back to Toronto at Way0937, and uh, hopefully his internet will be up and running on Tuesday so he can get everyone's messages over the next couple of days. Uh, yeah, so cool. thanks, Way. Well, again, happy Father's Day to you, John, your first one. Everybody, make sure you message John Pollock nonstop on all social media devices. Send him a happy Father's Day wish. I'm sure he'll appreciate it. Well, this show has been so long that my first Father's Day concluded while we were talking about um, Asuka and her fate on SmackDown and the main roster. Okay, that's going to wrap it up, everybody. We'll speak with you Monday night.